and welcome. This is Baller Scuba with another Scuba Cast. It has been far too long since I have recorded a Scuba Cast, but unfortunately, life sometimes just gets in the way of things that I would like to do. So uh, I have been away for a while, but I am back to do another Scuba Cast, and I am excited about what we are going to talk about today. For those of you that are new to the Scuba Cast, the Scuba Cast is basically broken down into three different parts. We're going to start with a couple news topics, then we're going to get into the main topic. Uh, the main topic today is going to be theme parks and how they fit into nerd nerd culture and whether uh, they are, I would say, operated properly. Uh, then we're going to have a wild card segment at the end today. The wild card segment is going to be talking about hype, uh, which kind of goes into everything else that I'm talking about today. Uh, but before we get underway with any of those, we are going to start with the news topics. Uh, the two news topics that I want to talk about today are pretty succinct, uh, but they are, I think, important. Uh, the first one is the official closure and declaration of bankruptcy of Telltale Games. Uh, this did not come as a surprise to me. I talked about that in one of the previous scuba casts that uh, they were officially shutting down uh, the Telltale engine which was their proprietary engine and had been in use, uh, I think I said since 2004. It was well over a decade uh, that Telltale had been making games all using the same engine. Um, and they were declaring that they were not able to uh, keep doing that. They weren't going to keep doing that. They were going to move over to the Unity engine. Uh, the Unity engine, however, is uh, seen as a lesser engine that all the independent people uh, program with. So... It was seen as a step down, so it was no surprise to me to find out uh, that Telltale was then going to close down. Uh, there's a lot of stories that are circling around about it. Uh, I can't really say what is true and what is not true, but I will say that it sounds like they did break uh, a couple labor laws in the way that they fired everybody. You have to give... Uh, a large company like that when you have more than 50 employees, which they did, uh, and you're going to do massive layoffs, uh, you have to give their employees, your employees uh, enough time to sort that out. And Telltale didn't just basically said, pack up your things and go. Everybody's, everybody's fired. You're all closed. We're, we're closed. Everybody needs to go away. Um, and it turns out that's illegal. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen as a result of that. How do you sue a company that has no assets anymore? Uh, but um, they did declare bankruptcy. All of their uh, properties are going to uh, be auctioned off if uh, my understanding of bankruptcy law is correct. Uh, but ultimately, the reason that they closed is the reason that everybody wants to talk about this. And I'm not really too much of an exception here, although I will say that the reason that Telltale closed down is simple. Their games weren't selling. Bottom line, Telltale closed down because people weren't buying their games. So the question is, why weren't they? Why weren't people buying their games? Why weren't their games popular? It turns out, according to Telltale, because there's apparently nothing keeping track of video games in terms of sales and budgets and stuff like that. Uh, according to Telltale, the only two games that actually made money for them were... The, the original season, the first season of The Walking Dead, and the Minecraft story mode game. Everything else that they made lost money. 
And that's kind of crazy to me because those games seem to be popular. They were all over the internet. I would see stuff from them all the time, but that doesn't mean that they sold. And I think that has a lot to do with the structure of the games themselves. Uh, not only with them being all of the same engine, which people had been complaining about for a long time. I think I heard the first complaint about that in 2008, 2007, maybe, uh, that Telltale just kept on releasing the same game over and over again, but with a new license as a skin on top of it, that the games functioned the same, the decision-making seemed very similar, the stories were similar, uh, but... They were fun, but once you had played it through once or seen somebody play it through once, you were no longer truly interested in playing the game yourself. So it had to do a lot with the structure of the game. Uh, another thing was uh, that they love to give out free copies of the game to YouTubers. Uh, that's what I'm told. It never happened for me. If they did, I probably would have played it. Uh, but I never got a Telltale game. But from what I understand, they were giving it to some of the higher um, higher subscribed channels on YouTube and stuff like that. So they would play it as advertising. But because of the nature of the game, where it was basically just a story for you to play through, uh, people would then watch the YouTuber play the game and then not want to play it themselves. Uh, I think Let's Plays are usually seen as advertising. I usually see it as an advertising uh, mechanic for these larger companies, uh, but in an instance like a Telltale game, uh, I can see where that would cost them money because um, the game is just a story with a couple decisions along the way. Same with visual novels. If you watch somebody play a visual novel, um, unless you want to go a completely different path, chances are you're not going to necessarily want to play the visual novel yourself. And Telltale games were close to visual novels, except, you know, there were actual mechanics for you to use. Uh, so it's not too surprising for me for Telltale to close down. I do want to talk a little bit about how people reacted to that. Some people completely overreacted, saying that like the mid-tier game companies just will not make it in... Uh, the gaming landscape that exists right now. I disagree with that statement. I think that the reason that Telltale went under is entirely Telltale's issues. I don't think that those issues go to other companies very easily. Um, their games weren't selling because they were always on the same system, always on the same engine. They all felt the same. And if you had seen one person play the game, uh, you'd didn't really want to play the game yourself. So it wasn't something that you would tell other people to play because it was a transcendent experience or it was really fun or it, it was something you can seek your teeth into. It was, this is the story of that game and that's about it. So as a result, I'm not too surprised that Telltale went under. I feel bad for all the programmers. They were working their tails off for that company for a long time. And a lot of the stories that you were hearing out of Telltale was basically how the programmers were overworked, underpaid. But if we're being 100% honest with ourselves, that is a, an industry standard. It goes across the entire industry that almost all the programmers are overworked, underpaid, and working way too long of hours. And although it is sad to hear that uh, Telltale was not the biggest um, 
kind of labor law violator in that regard. So I, I do wish that that would change, but just because Telltale closed down for doing that does not mean that that's going to change in the industry. In fact, it might go the opposite way. Um, people might go, look, Telltale went under. You have to work harder for less money. That would probably be the way that it would go instead. And that saddens me. I think that there is a lot of work to be done in the video game industry in regards to employee and um, really PR management. Uh, but that's something that we could talk about a different time. Uh, for now, uh, Telltale has closed down. I am not surprised. I don't know too many people that uh, would buy too many of their games. It was all about the licenses. And once uh, you saw somebody play the game, that was it. Uh, I know way more people that watched a Let's Play of uh, a Telltale game rather than play it themselves. They just found somebody, watched it, and went, oh, so that's what that game is about. And that was the end of the story. So I'm sorry to talk in circles. Let's move on. That is our first topic. The second topic that we're going to talk about is Diablo Immortal. Uh, I talked about this a little bit on Twitter uh, and a little bit on, I believe, my Patreon. Um, there was basically for those of you that are completely out of the loop Diablo is a huge action RPG franchise uh, for Blizzard technically now Activision Blizzard but Blizzard has done uh, well they've done a, a relatively good job uh, with the uh, the Diablo franchise as of late some people argue that Diablo 3 was not good I was I was on, on the fence about it, but when it comes to sales, Diablo 3 is one of the best-selling computer games of all time. It's up in the top five still, I believe. It is up there. They were not prepared to sell that many, but a lot of people really love the Diablo franchise. It is about sinking uh, a lot of time into it, going through the game. And finding the best stuff, spending a ton of time on your computer. I can't emphasize how much time you spend in Diablo sometimes. Uh, but the game is designed for you to play through many times, getting the best equipment, always pushing yourself. And you can easily sink thousands of hours into the game. And many people did for Diablo 2. I'm not sure how many people are doing that for Diablo 3. But the game is designed that way. So in comes BlizzCon. For those of you that don't know what BlizzCon is, BlizzCon is a convention that Blizzard has for themselves to basically celebrate themselves, their games, and to hype up whatever projects they have coming in the next year. So back in November, early November, uh, they have their big event. Uh, I love going to BlizzCon when I can, but it's so difficult to get in that I haven't been able to for the past few years. This year was no exception. I couldn't get in, even though it's down the street. Uh, but BlizzCon happened, and they said that they had a big Diablo announcement, and they hyped up this announcement for a couple weeks, which is probably why we're going to be talking about hype in the wildcard uh, section of the ScubaCast today. But they hyped up they had a big announcement for Diablo, and everybody thought one of two things mainly. Uh, people thought that it was either going to be an announcement for Diablo 4, the next big game in the franchise, and people were really excited about that, or 
it could be an expansion, a second expansion to Diablo 3, which people were less excited about, but still it was a new part of the game and something else for them to get into. Uh, BlizzCon happens uh, on the first day on the main stage. They put their guys out there and say, we're so excited to announce a mobile game called Diablo Immortal. And people were not happy. They were absolutely not happy with that. And I've talked a little bit about it, uh, like I said, on Patreon. And um, if you want to hear kind of more of my complete thoughts about it, uh, you could check it out there. Um, it, it is not a good thing for them to do. Um, I'm mainly going to talk about the, the media backlash, though. Uh, the media backlash on the game was that gamers were spoiled. And I really uh, did not like that. Uh, I've heard this before that when it comes to people being upset about something that they love going downhill, that they're overreacting and they're spoiled. And I completely disagree with that. When it comes to Diablo, like I said, the whole franchise has always been built on sitting at your PC, usually PC, I think there's a PlayStation release of Diablo 1, but I don't know anybody that played it. Uh, you sit down at your PC and you sink a ton of times in this dark world, powering yourself up, taking on demons and all sorts of hell creatures and eventually killing Diablo. That's why it's named Diablo. Uh, but Diablo Immortal is a mobile game. And it almost doesn't matter how good it is. A mobile game is always going to be disappointing. From Blizzard's standpoint though, they have not really capitalized on the mobile market. I recently saw a, a graph. I don't know how accurate it is, so I won't link it anywhere or anything like that, but the graph showed the overall marketplace for video games, and it was about 50-25-25. 50 50% of the gaming market is mobile. 25% PC, 25% consoles i'm i'm rounding i think consoles were barely beating pc with pc being close it was maybe like 23 24 percent but it was basically 50 percent mobile 25 25 pc and console gaming so for blizzard a huge company now that they are a, a part of activision they want to tap into the mobile market and what easier way to do that than to take one of their licensed properties and shift it over to mobile and try to get a whole new crowd into that the problem is they don't the crowd that they already had was at the convention these are people that had to get tickets within a couple seconds of them being released that probably flew some of them across the country some of them from around the world they stayed at a hotel nearby. They, they are huge fans of the games. For them to say, we're branching out to bring other people in. That is not something that those people wanted to hear. So it is no surprise to me that they got booed. Uh, the first question they got asked was, is this an April Fool's joke? Um, and they did not handle it well. Uh, they even asked later on, uh, the people on stage didn't hand it, well, I should say, uh, one of the people later on 
asked uh, the panel on stage, uh, would this be released to the PC eventually, right? It, it might be mobile now, but are you going to port it to the PC later so I can play it on my PC? And they said no. And they got booed for that one. And they reacted the exact wrong way from it. And they said, what, do you guys not have phones? So... Overall, BlizzCon, uh, that's the only thing that people wanted to talk about when it comes to BlizzCon as a result of the Diablo Immortal uh, announcement. I don't typically like talking about announcements, but this one was such a big disappointment to such a dedicated, large fan base that I felt I needed to talk about it and what happened. Uh, so Diablo Immortal is still underway. Uh, but suddenly Blizzard is not talking about it nearly as much. They're not acting like it is a huge deal for them to do. Uh, you do hear rumors now that Diablo 4 is actually underway, but they didn't have enough to present. Uh, so they just kind of threw the, the mobile guys out there uh, to get slaughtered on stage. It, it did not work out well. So uh, that is basically what happened with Diablo Immortal. For more on uh, my thoughts about that case in particular, you can check out the Patreon. Uh, but I think it is now time to get into the main topic of the scuba cast today, and that is going to be theme parks. Now, this is something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, uh, but I recently went to uh, Universal Studios and Disneyland. I'm in Southern California, so I went to basically the main theme parks here, and I want to take uh, my freshest thoughts on it and talk about it, which is great for today. So basically, I wanted to talk about theme parks as a whole, and then we'll start narrowing it down. Uh, I, I, of course, will have to talk about Disney. When you think of theme parks, usually Disneyland is number one on your list. Uh, but we'll talk about theme parks in general first and then our, work our way to it. So when it comes to theme parks... There is a debate, at least a, a small but growing debate, whether they fit into nerd culture, whether it is acceptable to want to go to a place that markets the thing that you already like in a slightly different way, be it with a roller coaster or a just a land uh, that is... Um, recreating the place that you love. Um, some people don't like the idea of that. They f it feels like their beloved franchise is now selling out or it is not as good. It's watering itself down or um, it's reaching an audience that doesn't understand it, which is something that they don't like. But for me, I feel like theme parks are a lot of entertaining um, well, there's a lot of entertaining aspects of a theme park that cannot really be accessed anywhere else. And as a result, I am a huge fan of having theme parks representing something that I already love. Uh, it is more difficult for me to get involved in a theme park that doesn't have those aspects to it. So, for instance, if we are talking about uh, something like Star Wars, um, it's much cooler for me to look at a replica hallway of a 
of the Death Star and walk through that hallway. That's so cool to me, and I love the idea of that. Uh, I don't think Star Wars has that. I know Star Trek for a while had an exhibit or something like that in uh, Las Vegas where you could go onto the Enterprise's bridge, and I would have loved to do that, but I never got around to it, and I missed it. Something like that is so cool to me, even though it is not necessarily just for the hardcore fans, so to speak, which is sometimes the argument that I hear. Uh, but for me, theme parks are not necessarily required, but they are something that I definitely want to go out of my way to experience. Uh, for instance, they still have the movie set from The Lord of the Rings, uh, specifically this, The Shire, where the hobbits lived at the beginning of the movie. Um, they still have that up, and I really want to go there. The problem is it's in New Zealand, so that's a, that's a trip, but I would love to go see that. And that's something that is on my list, is, you know, something that I really want to do. Go to New Zealand and see the Shire. Like, granted, there's a lot of other things that I want to do while I'm down there. Go visit Australia a bit, uh, tour around New Zealand, of course. But I definitely, while I'm there, need to go see the Lord of the Rings set. Anything that has to do with the Lord of the Rings movies, I want to go visit down there. Um, so I think that it is something that is growing. And as... Uh, nerd culture is now becoming more mainstream and is being adopted by larger and larger companies. Uh, this is something that is going to become a bigger deal as time goes on. I think that theme parks are going to start tapping into um, the fandom for all these nerdy things that we all love. Um, you don't even have to be a nerd to love some of them. Some of them, for instance, like Harry Potter, are already going. Uh, Star Wars and Marvel are already under construction. Uh, but I'll talk a little bit more about that later. So that's basically my thoughts on theme parks in nerd culture. I think that they are uh, something that we could definitely latch onto, and I already have. I love the idea of experiencing rides or... Um, just buildings or lands uh, that are geared toward certain aspects of nerd culture. Uh, so let me talk a little bit about my recent experiences at the theme parks, and we will then move on to whether I think that the companies are uh, utilizing their intellectual properties properly. So the first one that I went to was uh, Universal Studios, uh, the one in Hollywood. And that's the first time that I've ever been there. Uh, they had two major things that I would say uh, were good, and then a lot of things that were bad. The two major things that they had that were great, uh, in my opinion, were anything that they did with The Simpsons. I thought they did a great job with The Simpsons. Uh, you could eat at Duff Brewery. You could hang out in Moe's Tavern. Uh, you could even shop at the Quickie Mart. Uh, you could go to Krusty Land and take the ride there. Uh, they had a couple characters out to take pictures with. I have a picture with uh, Hannah, me, Bart, and Lisa. Uh, that was a little awkward, but still fun. Um, I But it felt like you were 
surrounded by The Simpsons. It didn't feel like you were in The Simpsons, though. They didn't do a good job of actual immersion when it came to The Simpsons, but I did love the effort that they put into it. And it felt like I was celebrating The Simpsons every time I was in that particular part of the park. So that one, for me, was a huge good thing that they had di- that, that they had done at Universal Studios. I don't know what, uh, speaking of The Simpsons, I don't know what is going to happen in the future for The Simpsons, because Disney now owns uh, the rights to The Simpsons, or at least partial rights to The Simpsons, and for Disney to own intellectual property that is making money for a rival theme park, I'm not sure how that's going to pan out over time. Uh, Maybe they'll just take a cut of that money, uh, but yeah, that's something to think about in the future that now that Disney bought the rights to Fox, which is where The Simpsons is aired. So don't know what that's going to mean for the future, but as it stands right now, uh, what was being done with The Simpsons in Universal Studios was great. Even better, I would say, though, is what they call the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. I refer to it as Harry Potter Land because that's basically what it is. It was a section of Universal Studios that was meant to look just like Hogsmeade, and it did. And I had a lot of fun there, at least pretending that I was part of the Harry Potter world. Um, They did a great job basically recreating Hogsmeade. So you walk through, you can go to Ollivander's shop, you can go to all these different shops, you can get some food, you can get some butterbeer, and it feels like you are actually in Hogsmeade. They built a replica Hogsmeade for you to walk around in, and that's a lot of fun. Um, With that said, though, I feel like I have to talk about uh, a lot of the restrictions that happen in uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Uh, the number one thing is that it was built for children and small children at that. What happens is that you can buy a wand and the wand has a little sensor on it and you can manipulate certain things around Hogsmeade using your wand. Um, what they don't tell you is that this is designed for children that are around like maybe three and a half feet tall three, three and a half feet tall, small children. Um, The wand has to be held at that height that those kids would normally be, and the movements are incredibly small in order to get things to happen. And they have to to station their employees all uh, all across Hogsmeade at those specific locations to show you how to do it because it is clearly not apparent at all. Uh, So there's already a problem for me that it is designed for small children. Although I understand it, that small children are the ones that typically want to go to theme parks the most. When it comes to Harry Potter, I feel like that is a miss because Harry Potter is now in his 20s. Um, I think the book Harry Potter would be in his 30s now, but uh, the film Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe and all that would be in their 20s. Many of the people that are the same age as Harry Potter, including Harry Potter himself, they're far too big to go through Harry Potter world. And I think that is not a smart thing for them to do because people that were the same age as Harry Potter loved the movies. I I grew up with people loving the books. Uh, When I was in middle school and high school, I believe they came out and they were 
very popular. Uh, people my age will have a lot of trouble in Harry, in the Harry Potter land, Harry Potter world, whatever I want to call it. Um, it is a lot of fun to be in, but it is not designed for the people that were around when it came out. And I think that is a huge miss for, for Universal Studios. Uh, even worse than that, though, is the ride. The ride actually takes you into Hogwarts, which is the biggest thing that you want. If you have ever seen Harry Potter, you know it's all about the school, the castle, Hogwarts. That's where you want to hang out. Hogsmeade is nice, right? For those of you that aren't familiar, I probably have talked about it for a while, but um, Hogsmeade is the city right outside the school. It's where they go basically on break. Uh, you hang out in Hogsmeade, you get your school supplies in Hogsmeade, and then you go to the school Hogwarts. And Hogwarts is, a, they built the castle, a replica castle, which is really nice to see, but it's difficult to get into. To get into it, you have to get in line for the ride, which is fine, uh, but it's the thing that I wanted to do the most was to walk around Hogwarts. And for them to basically put a line for a ride for that meant I couldn't really walk around. I just kind of walked through it, which was fine to some extent. I enjoyed it. It was probably the highlight of all of the, the Harry Potter stuff for me was walking through the line at Hogwarts. Uh, the problem is that the ride itself is not uh, built for too many people. We'll, we'll phrase it that way. Uh, basically, you have to be over four foot tall. So you're excluding the kids that were uh, using the wands properly in, in town. Uh, but on top of that, and this is the part that gets me the most, you have to be pretty skinny. Um, the, the waist measurements that they say are, are going to cause problems are anything over 40-inch waists. You have to be pretty skinny, apparently, to get into Hogwarts. I was not aware of that. And I swear there are a couple people, a couple kids that were in the film that would not be able to fit on the Harry Potter ride. And as a result, I wasn't able to get on it. I was actually too tall. I was skinny enough, but uh, I had to hunch over and th they pretty much told me no and kicked us off. So I feel like that was uh, very very ignorant on their part. I do know people that have written on it. I'm not a very tall person for the record. I'm 5'11", so I consider myself average height. Uh, but if you're about my height, even, uh, and you have a long torso, or if you're shorter, or you're any taller than me, uh, don't expect to be able to ride the Harry Potter ride. Uh, that was that was a huge disappointment for us. But uh, Harry Potter overall, I think they did it really well. I just think they need to tweak a few things in order to fix it. But I love the idea of the immersive world in Hogsmeade. I would have rather had it in Hogwarts, uh, but they had to do what they can. And I felt that they did a great job, except for these restrictions that were unnecessary and um, off-putting, to be honest. It didn't feel like I was in a child's um, part of the park when I was in Hogsmeade, suddenly I get to Hogwarts and they're just looking at me like, what are you doing here? From what I understand, the other parks in Orlando and Tokyo for Universal Studios, they do have uh, other seats for, you know, adults. Uh, but Hollywood, for whatever reason, decided, nope, we don't need that. That's not going to exist here. 
but so those are the two main lands that were great uh, with Universal Studios. I liked the the studio tour. It was good. I wouldn't say it was great, um, but it, it had some fun stuff to it. Uh, but then there was all this other stuff that they tried to throw at us uh, that I was not a fan of. They had a Waterworld exhibit. I could talk about that for a while, but uh, they had a Waterworld show that we didn't see. They had um, Transformers and The Mummy and Jurassic Park, which they're apparently renovating to Jurassic World eventually. Um, but they had some fun stuff, but most of it was just rides, and there wasn't too much to do other than hang out in the Simpsons area or the uh, Hogsmeade area of the park. So it was fun, uh, but I'm not necessarily pushing to go back anytime soon uh, because there wasn't that much to do. We ended up leaving sometime around like four or five, just way earlier than I expected because we just kind of ran out of fun things to do at Universal Studios. Uh, but overall, I think they did a, a good thing there. They just need to kind of fill in the park and invest more money into the park uh, to use their pro their properties properly. They Universal Studios has a ton of things, uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, so that was the first park we went to. The second park that we went to was uh, Disney's California Adventure. Uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, it is basically a sister park built right next to Disneyland uh, that opened up in the mid-2000s, I believe. Um, I had never been to that one before. Uh, I was, uh, I believe in I think I had already graduated by the time that they opened it up so I just never never got around to uh California Adventure I finally went uh basically a couple weeks ago but uh we went to California Adventure uh in hopes of finding uh, a couple uh big rides that we wanted to go on and that was the highlight uh for us at the end of it uh, they had the Incredicoaster, uh, which I guess used to be called California Screaming, uh, but it's now an Incredibles theme coaster. Uh, it's not very, um, it's not very, I don't know how to phrase it. It's, it's barely, barely, um, yeah, I'm struggling to figure out how to phrase it. It doesn't have much to do with the Incredibles. They put incredible stuff in line. Uh, they put a little, uh, they put stuff in these little tunnels that's are that are Incredibles. But at the end of the day, it's a roller coaster that happens to have the Incredibles uh, associated with it more than anything else. Um, so that was a great coaster, but I felt like it was missing a little bit there. Um, but when it comes to California Adventure, we had a lot of fun. Um, it is supposed to be more of an, uh, an adult themed park. You can drink there. They sell like margaritas and beer and wine flights. It's a little weird at first, but you get used to it. There's a whole section that is sealed off, uh, from the public and it doesn't seem like there's anything there. I have a feeling that they're building, um, either Star Wars Land or Marvel Land. Probably Marvel is going to be built there, but we didn't get to see that. Uh, the only thing that we really went on that was uh, Marvel-themed was um, the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. I, I can't remember what it's officially called, but it used to be the, the Tower of Terror. It's basically an elevator ride, um, and that they built properly. When you're there, it feels like you're in the collector's uh, residence, whatever he called it, the collector's mansion, it feels like you're there and you eventually get broken out 
by Rocket Raccoon. That's the idea of the ride. And it is basically a free fall a couple points on an elevator with scenes playing in the middle. And I thought that was a really smart thing to do. Um, those were the highlights of California Adventure. The rest of it weren't that great and honestly didn't utilize their intellectual property uh, properly. Most of California Adventure was built to look like California, all the different sections of California. They had a Hollywood section. Uh, they had a uh, Sierra Mountains section with a lot of dedication to John Muir, I think is how I'm supposed to say it. Uh, he was a trailblazer back in the day that found a lot of interesting places in California. He's kind of a big deal out here, but he's a local hero because he found, you know, all these uh, places that end up becoming national or state parks or monuments or stuff like that. But they had that section. Uh, they had a section that was designed to look like uh, Cannery Row in Monterey. Um, they had uh, a section that was supposed to look like the Santa Monica Pier, as far as I could tell. It was basically just your generic pier carnival type area. Uh, and they had themed stuff in there, but uh, ultimately... It wasn't designed around the intellectual property. The intellectual property seemed kind of tacked on at certain points. So when you go to uh, the pier area with the carnival, they have a lot of Pixar stuff. They called it like Pixar land, but it was clearly supposed to be like a carnival or a fair type place on a pier that uh, they then threw Woody and Buzz and... Um, the Incredibles, that's where the Incredicoaster was. They threw all that kind of stuff um, on top of it, but it did not seem like that was the idea going into it. Uh, but the, there was one highlight uh, for me, and that would be Cars Land. Cars Land uh, was designed to look like um, the small town in Arizona, I believe it was Arizona, that took place in the original Cars movie. So once again, we have this immersive world. You walk around it and it feels like you are in cars because they have the cones, they have the rocks, they have Flo's Cafe, they have a few rides going on there. It felt like what it would be like to be in cars. And that's what I liked. And I loved the idea of that. I thought that, I still think that Cars is kind of an odd choice. I don't think it's as beloved as some of the other franchises that Disney has, but uh, I think they did a great job utilizing that property to uh, create an entire land, which I don't think they did uh, for a lot of other things. So that was basically California Adventure. Uh, then there was Disneyland. Uh, Disneyland is Disneyland. It's been around since 1955, and sometimes it feels like it. Um, I, I found out that as I was going uh, and I was thinking about this uh, podcast topic for quite some time, uh, that most of my complaints are actually in one land in Disneyland. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's broken up into different lands. Uh, none of them are themed around their intellectual, intellectual properties, and it's more like a worldwide tour more than anything else. So they have Frontierland, which is supposed to look like the Old West. They have Adventureland, which is supposed to look like uh, probably India, um, somewhere around there. Um, then we have um, Fantasyland, which is just basically your... Um, European high fantasy type stuff, so princesses and all that kind of stuff. That happens in Fantasyland. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Uh, there's Tomorrowland, which is supposed to be like the future. Uh, they have 
uh, Critter Country, which is the only thing that I know is there is like Splash Mountain. There's there's not much else there. Um, I'm blanking on some of the other lands, but you get the idea. It's supposed to be kind of this um, Americana type place. Uh, oh, they have New Orleans Square as well. Uh, there's some nice stuff in New Orleans Square. Uh, but uh, that is basically the general layout of it. And I found out that this small little section called Fantasyland, uh, that's where most of my complaints about uh, their intellectual property usage is. Uh, but the idea that I had uh, about a lot of what they were doing um, just didn't seem to matter. Uh, because when we went to Disneyland, it was so crowded. And I looked up ticket sales that are higher than they have ever been before. They're, they've raised the prices a ton. So I have, I have to imagine that Disneyland is making more money than it's ever made in the past. Uh, with that said, Disneyland itself is becoming much more of a local scene. Uh, when I went every single place I went, they asked if I was an annual pass holder. And they were surprised when I said no. Uh, as it turns out, most of the people that are going to Disneyland are Southern California residents, people that are traveling from outside Southern California, uh, let alone outside the country. Uh, they don't seem to be going to Disneyland anymore. They would rather go to Disney World. Uh, so I haven't, I've never been to Disney World. It makes sense. I hear it's a lot bigger. It's a lot better. Um, but it was disappointing to me uh, to see that Disneyland, although... Uh, still as good as I remember, uh, now that I'm an adult, it, it feels like they aren't investing in it anymore. Uh, there were definitely some cracks and holes showing uh, in the castle, on the teacup ride, stuff like that. Um, so our experiences there were, it was fun, but it was so crowded that it was hard to do uh, too much that we wanted to do, and we just had to take a lot of breaks in the middle uh, to just sit down and try to breathe a little bit because it was just so crowded when we went. And granted, we went during the holiday season, but it was early in the holiday season. Uh, I believe we went on the 4th of December, so I thought it would be early enough to avoid the crowd. I was wrong. Uh, there were still a ton of people there. So that was basically uh, my experiences at the three uh, theme parks. I mean, we went on rides at Disneyland too, uh, but uh, the rides there are not meant for um, adults or really anybody over the age of like 12, um, except for some of the ones that we went on. Like we went, I don't know, but like I said, most of them are designed for children and their parents. It's designed for a family. It's, it's for the whole family together. So we went on, uh, the Finding Nemo ride, which was basically a re, um, restructured submarine ride uh, which was nice it had little clips from finding nemo uh, they couldn't get ellen for the voice of dory though so they had some other actress for that and it, it stood out like that's not dory's voice uh, everybody else was the same we went on um, it's a small world uh, which was christmas themed or holiday themed i should say because they did have other holidays there uh, which was nice but you know it's to me it, it's a large diorama uh, it's a small world. Um, then we went on. We also went on Pirates of the Caribbean, which was uh, pretty good. They they have uh, changed the animatronics on uh, the pirates since I went as a kid, uh, but not as much as I would like. Uh, they also threw a couple uh, Captain Jack Sparrow animatronics in there, uh, but that's it. That's the only relation to the movie is 
or any of the movies really is that they put a couple J- Captain Jacks in there. Other than that, it's the same ride as when I was a kid. Um, we are on the Haunted Mansion, which was uh, changed for the holiday season into a Nightmare Before Christmas holiday uh, Haunted Mansion, which was honestly really good for me. I'm always a big fan of the Haunted Mansion, but uh, for them to turn it into the Nightmare Before Christmas uh, to me was a huge deal. I thought that was uh, something that I had been basically complain about for a long time why don't you just turn the haunted mansion into the nightmare before christmas you have a scary movie use it uh, and they finally did but only for the holiday season so that was a little uh, disappointing um that it was limited time other than that it was it was a lot of fun uh but yeah you go on the rides there um they're not necessarily uh, built around the Disney properties, which is what you would expect when you go to Disneyland. Uh, instead, it's built around this idea of Americana or California-themed or something like that, um, which does lead me into my next topic uh, about theme parks, which is, are they using their intellectual properties properly? When it comes to intellectual property, I feel like these large companies not only owe it to themselves, uh, but owe it to the fan bases of uh, at least the most popular franchises uh, to try to capitalize on it. Uh, They owe it to themselves because, of course, if you have a popular franchise, you want to kind of milk it for as much money as you can get out of it. But they also owe it to the fans who love the franchises to give them the opportunity to experience the things that they love in a slightly different way. At least that's the way that I look at it. Uh, The companies not only want to make money from this, but they also owe it to uh, themselves and the fans uh, to try to make this kind of stuff happen. And when it comes to theme parks, I feel like uh, there is quite a bit of lag from the big companies, but they are making changes, and I do have to give them credit for that. In recent years, they have changed quite a bit when it comes to theme parks. And when I think of theme parks, I think specifically of places that are supposed to transport you to another world. So for instance, when I think of a theme park, I'm not thinking of like Six Flags, where you don't necessarily feel like you're necessarily anywhere special. It just feels like you're in a place where there are roller coasters if that makes sense, uh, that the the names of the roller coasters, the, the area that you're in, it doesn't really matter. You're just kind of waiting in line for roller coasters. At least that's how it is at the Six Flags that is near me, uh, which is one of the major ones, Six Flags Magic Mountain. Uh, but uh, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about, even though they do have intellectual property that they could be capitalizing on but aren't very well. Uh, they for some reason, have the rights to Warner Brothers. So uh, they have, you know, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and all of them. Uh, They have the rights to that, but they're barely using it. Um, And then they also, at least the one that I went to at at Magic Mountain, they also had the rights to uh, roller coasters that bear DC superhero names on them. So there was a, a Superman ride, a Batman ride, and a Riddler's ride called Riddler's Avenge. That was the only one with a name. Um, But really at the end of it, there wasn't too much going on with those other than it was a roller coaster with um, some stickers put on it to make you think that it was uh, from DC Comics. Other than that, they weren't really utilizing that properly. 
Um, and, and I feel like that's a big deal. If you do have DC, that's a huge name. You should be utilizing that. And for the company to basically just have three of their, like maybe 12 roller coasters, just bear the DC name, I feel like is a mistake on their part. And it would be a lot better if they had a, a whole DC park or a DC land. And instead, they just have a couple roller coasters that um, kind of remind you of the comic books and maybe a movie or two. But that's about it. So that's at least Six Flags. Like I said, I don't want to talk about Six Flags too much because I feel like uh, it's not necessarily a theme park as much as it is a place with roller coasters. Uh, so let's move on to Universal. Universal has a ton of intellectual property. It's too much for me to name uh, simply because they've been around forever when it comes to making movies. Universal, uh, the first movie that I can think of with uh, their name on it was King Kong. I'm sure they did some before then, uh, but King Kong comes to mind as something that I know for sure is Universal's property. And that movie came out in 1933. So Universal has been around for a long time making a lot of movies. And they own the rights to so many franchises uh, that you would think that the place would be full of references to movies, some of which you'll know, some of which you wouldn't know, but uh, when you actually get to the park, it doesn't feel that way. Like I said, when you go into the Simpsons part of the park, uh, you do feel like you're in Springfield. When you go to Harry Potter uh, world, whatever, the wizarding world of Harry Potter, uh, you feel like you are in Hogsmeade. And I think they did a great job with that. And those are their two newest ones. Uh, to represent kind of what they used to do, uh, there's a whole different section of the park. You have to take, like, maybe 10 minutes worth of escalators uh, to get to this other part of the park. It takes forever. Um, and you end up in this small part of the park where they have a Jurassic Park ride, a mummy ride, and a Transformers ride. I didn't get to go on the mummy ride. It was closed that day. Uh, Jurassic Park ride was dated. Uh, it, it was not very good, if you ask me, but it was at least fun to to try to experience Jurassic Park a little bit. And then uh, the Transformers ride there was way too long of a line, so I didn't go on it. But um, what I really want to get at is that this one section of the park had three completely different franchises all right next to each other, and they had absolutely nothing in common. And I feel like that was a miss for them. But when it comes to Universal, I feel like there's a little bit more of a pass that I can give them uh, simply because there is so much intellectual property that they've had over the years that it's difficult to try to pin one down and say, this is a beloved franchise. We want to dedicate a whole portion of the park to this. Um, obviously, they did that with Simpsons and Harry Potter, and I feel like those are good choices. Another good choice that I feel like they could do is Kung Fu Panda. I feel like that was a, a pretty damn big hit for them. So they could dedicate a whole part of the park to Kung Fu Panda, uh, but it doesn't look like anything like that is ever going to be in the works again. Uh, they also have the rights to Despicable Me. That's also one of their big franchises, and they did do a lot with it, uh, but it was more of a carnival type or fair type atmosphere uh with despicable me's minions kind of all over the place uh so 
Universal, I feel like, is one of the worst ones when it comes to utilizing their intellectual property, but I'm not entirely sure how they could try to fix that. The theme park is built on working studios. Uh, so while there is a huge crowd going through uh, amusement park rides, going through a studio tour, uh, trying to watch shows uh, in live stunt shows in the park. Uh, there are people less than a block away actually filming something uh, to put it on television. Uh, sometimes in the park itself, there's a celebrity gossip show. I believe it's Extra? Or is it Access Hollywood? I think it's Extra that films in the entrance to Universal Studios, at least the one in Hollywood. It's it's kind of surreal that they're they're pushing all this different stuff at the same time, uh, but ultimately they could be doing more with their intellectual property. The one that comes to mind is something that they recently tried to relaunch, which is their horror franchise uh, with uh, the Mummy and uh, Frankenstein and Dracula. I think that they could have kept pushing it for like Wolfman and the Invisible Man and stuff like that. But uh, as it turned out, all the movies were bad. So it did not work out very well. And they pretty much canceled that entire idea. They were going to do a shared cinematic universe similar to Marvel or DC. Uh, but the movies were too bad. And so they canceled that idea. Uh, but they could have tried to do something like that. I think that would work better for them. Even if they just went with the old... Uh, Bela Lugosi Dracula or the old Boris Karloff um, Frankenstein if they tried to utilize those uh, better in the park instead they have a Waterworld stunt show I could talk for a while about Waterworld but it's just basically a big flop that they tried to make their money back on so they put it as a part of their park and I think that's the wrong way to think about it if it flopped let it flop take the beloved franchises and try to make more money from those as opposed to trying to make money back from something that didn't make money for you originally. At least that's the way that I look at it. So with Universal, I feel like they aren't utilizing their properties properly, but it's a lot more difficult for them because they are actually in studios. It's called Universal Studios because there's actual studios there where they are currently filming things. When we went, I believe they were filming two or three shows while we were on the tram going through the back lot. Uh, it is, it's a weird experience uh, going through Universal. But with that said, uh, let's move over to Disney. Disney is the biggest name, I think, in theme parks. Uh, you can make an argument for Universal. You can make an argument for Six Flags. But I would argue that Disney is the biggest name in theme parks. And they are also one of the biggest names in entertainment as a whole. Uh, not only do they own all the stuff they created, you know, all the Disney animated films, uh, the Disney Channel and all its television shows, uh, all the things that they put on the D Disney Channel that grew larger than that. Uh, they also purchased ABC. They own ABC, one of the major networks at uh, in America. They recently just bought Fox, a second network in America. So technically, there are only four major networks in America, and Disney owns two of them. Uh, that's kind of crazy to think about. Um, they now own the rights to The Simpsons because The Simpsons is on Fox. 
uh, not only do they own those, they also own like ESPN and the History Channel. They own a ton of stuff. Uh, they also own recently thanks to a couple purchases at least within the last 20 years they own star wars thanks to their purchase of lucas they own marvel they just bought that one outright they own the english uh translation rights to studio ghibli films uh which although isn't necessarily a big deal to a lot of people it's a big deal to me i love those films so anything like my neighbor totoro kiki's delivery service howl's moving castle uh princess mononoke that's all disney property at least in america i don't know what the rights are when it comes to making um theme park based uh lands or lands based on those properties uh but they do own the rights at least to distribution here in America for those movies. And I feel like that's a relatively big deal. But when you think about all the things that Disney has made over the years, and then you start looking at their theme parks, it's a little baffling that they focus the way that they do. They do not focus on their intellectual properties at Disney. They instead focus on this idea of you traveling a large amount of area in a small space so when you go to disneyland it's designed to feel like you traveled all around the world in like basically a four square block radius um when you it's actually smaller than that but whatever uh when you go to california adventure it's supposed to feel like you traveled all up and down california's coast which is an interesting concept, and maybe it was a big deal in the 50s. I'll put it that way. But today, I feel like that is not a big deal. I feel like that is the wrong way to think about how to design these parks. Uh, they are designed to have Disney themes kind of spread across it, but Disneyland's supposed to give you a sense of Americana, and California Adventure is supposed to give you a sense of what it's like in California. It's not supposed to be you walking into Disney films. And I think that's a much better way of how to build these parks. And I know that they can't just shut down Disneyland for two years in order to fix uh, fix it to be the way that I would like it. Uh, but I also feel like they're not necessarily investing the right amount of money into changing these parts to keep up with the times. And... I, I think that's my biggest issue with the way that it's designed is the lack of utilization of their intellectual property properly. So Disneyland opened up in 1955. That's an important date to remember uh, for what I'm about to talk about. Uh, because when it comes to what they designed their park around, you'll notice that it's uh, based on what Disney had already created by 1955. That makes sense. The problem is they haven't changed it since then. So if you go to Fantasyland, uh, which is the center part of the park, right? The, the, when you first walk in, you walk down what's known as Main Street, um, which is kind of ironic because there's a Main Street like in real in the real world, not that far away. But uh, inside Disneyland, you walk down what's known as Main Street. Once again, it's supposed to give you a sense of Americana, what it's like to live in ideal America, I guess. Um, you, you'll see the castle. You walk through the castle. You're in Fantasyland. And Fantasyland is the heart of the park. It's where uh, the little kids go because it's got all the little kid rides. All those little kid rides 
are based on properties from the 40s and 50s. And when I say 50s, I mean early 50s. So let's go in chronological order. Pinocchio, uh, they have a ride where you go through what's known, I think it's a storybook ride. It's basically a little boat and there's stuff on the side for you to look at. And the big climax of it, it's a little kid's ride, is that you go into the whale from Pinocchio's mouth. You go in through his mouth. You don't like hang out in the whale. You just kind of go through it. Um, it's a very small whale from the outside, but it's for little kids. Uh, but once again, Pinocchio. Pinocchio came out in 1940. That makes it almost 80 years old. We're talking 78 years as of me recording this. It, it's closer to 79 right now. That is an old film, and it's still one of the main attractions in in Fantasyland. Uh, the next one would be Dumbo. There's still a Dumbo ride. Uh, Dumbo is another, well, just like Pinocchio. It's There are movies that are difficult uh, to uh, air today, which is why they rarely release these movies from the vault. They're problematic in today's society. We'll put it that way. They didn't age well. And Dumbo is one of the biggest examples of that. Uh, but there's still a Dumbo ride. That movie came out in 1941. Uh, then there is uh, the Three Caballeros. Uh, although they're not in Fantasyland, I feel like I should point it out. Uh, for those of you that don't remember the Three Caballeros, I loved them growing up. It's uh, Donald Duck and two birds from South America, and uh, they speak Spanish, and they're a lot of fun. I, I liked them. Uh, they're still a major part of the park. When we went to California Adventure, there was a parade, and it featured the Three Caballeros. Uh, then when we went to Disneyland, they had a, a Christmas-themed parade and it also featured the three caballeros uh that movie came out in 1944 though although i'm a fan of them it's kind of weird for them to be picking for them to be picked uh to represent um mexico especially considering that coco just came out uh but we'll get to that uh then there's a uh, song of the south that's a movie that came out in 1946 you might not recognize the name at all uh because it has never been re-released it will never be re-released um that movie is racist there's no way around it. it is a racist movie uh but the reason that i bring it up is because there is a ride in disneyland based on a part of that movie, and that would be Splash Mountain. Uh, Splash Mountain has a part of it where there are there's this lead-up as you kind of climb up the mountain in your, in your log. Uh, you get to see little aspects of this story about Br'er Rabbit, and he's trying to escape from Br'er Fox. Uh, that is a story that is told and is animated in the movie Song of the South. Uh, you will never see that movie in its entirety. You might be able to see the clip of um, the Br'er Rabbit story uh, released by Disney officially, uh, but the official, the whole movie, you'll never see that from Disney in its entirety. You, you just won't. Uh, it did not age well at all, and I'm not entirely sure why they made it even in the 40s, uh, but... That came out in 1946, and it's still a major part of Disneyland and Disney World. They have a Splash Mountain there, too, from what I understand. I haven't been there, but that's what I hear. 
then there is uh, the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Uh, there is a ride in Fantasyland called Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And even when I was a kid, I didn't know who Mr. Toad was. I've now seen the movie. I'm still not entirely sure who Mr. Toad was. I get it confused with Wind in the Willows all the time. It might be the same character, but it's not the same movie. Uh, Mr. Toad basically has a carriage ride that uh, goes a little bit out of control, and therefore they made a ride about it. But that movie came out in 1949. Uh, then there's uh, Alice in Wonderland. This one is the biggest uh, part of Fantasyland. It is what people think of when they think of Disneyland a lot, because that's where the teacups come in. The spinning teacups are based on Alice in Wonderland. They also have a second ride in Fantasyland where you kind of go through the story of Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland came out in 1951. And uh, the most recent one in Fantasyland is Peter Pan. And Peter Pan had a ride there. That movie also came out in 1953, the same year that uh, Disneyland was opened. So when it comes to the central part of Disneyland, everything there is over 65 years old. And... I think the idea at this point is to never change it because it has become a tradition. It's uh, nostalgic for people to go see the Dumbo ride and the Peter Pan ride and the spinning teacups and to go into the whale from Pinocchio. But I think that's a little misguided, uh, not only because these movies are not re-released very often, like I said, problematic, uh, they are not beloved by the people that are writing them, the, especially the little kids. Uh, we're talking kids somewhere between the ages of three and 10. Once you hit 10, you probably don't want to hang out in that spot anymore. There's not much for you, uh, except for the teacups. Uh, but we're talking three to 10 year olds. Uh, I don't know how often you guys have talked to t three to 10 year olds lately, but I seriously doubt they have nostalgia for the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad yet they have done nothing to update that in years, um, in decades. And it's starting to show. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily just starting now, but when you go there now, Fantasyland start, looks like it's starting to crumble. Um, even the castle itself, which is technically the Sleeping Beauty castle, um, they must have changed that um, because uh, Sleeping Beauty came out in 1959. But... Uh, they, the castle is starting to get holes in it, uh, it's starting to crack, uh, the teacup rides are starting to crack, the, they're faded, they're, they're, they're not looking good. Fantasyland as a whole is not looking so good, but it is the most crowded part of the park. Uh, so I don't see Disneyland changing it because of that, but at the same time, I feel like they should um, and if they w were to change it, it would be better for everybody. Uh, but I, I guess they're looking at it as there's no real incentive to do that because things are going well there right now. But once again, I feel like that's less to do with uh, nostalgia on behalf of even the parents, uh, let alone the children, for um, these rides or these um, these intellectual properties and more about the fact that these are the kids' rides. This is where you go for the little kids. So that's kind of where I want to start my discussion of Disneyland 
and their use of intellectual property. I'll probably keep going. This There's a lot for me to talk about when it comes to this. Um, but basically, they have established where they want to be in terms of their intellectual property, and that is pretty much everything uh, from when the park opened and earlier for a lot of what they have done. They have made small changes over the years, uh, but a lot of what they established were not based on their intellectual properties, at least when it started. Uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride came out in, I believe, the 60s. Uh, that's when it first uh, came out. It could have been the 70s, but um, needless to say, that is way before they ever made a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And uh, since they made the movies and the movies became so popular, uh, they really didn't change the Pirates of the Caribbean ride other than uh, putting a Johnny Depp animatronic in there. It's still basically the same ride. Uh, the movie is based on the, the ride. The ride is not based on the movie. Uh, they also did the same thing with the Haunted Mansion. They've had that ride, I believe, since the park opened, at least really early on. Uh, it's still quite a marvel if you go to it. It's, it's fascinating to to try to figure out how they're making something work. The engineering on that is damn good. Uh, but they that's not based on a movie of any sort, uh, at least outside of the holiday season when they turned into the Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, but they ended up making a movie about it in the mid-2000s, I believe, with Eddie Murphy, just called The Haunted Mansion. And it didn't even look like the same house or anything like that. It was... It was strange. Uh, there's a lot of that in, in Disneyland. Uh, they have New Orleans Square that you can go on a steam, or on one of the paddle ships uh, that go up and down the Mississippi. Um, you can go to Tom Sawyer Island, uh, which is weird because everybody then assumes that Disney made a Tom Sawyer movie. Uh, they've never made a Tom Sawyer movie. I've looked. Apparently, they helped distribute one, uh, but they've never made a, a Tom Sawyer movie. And... So it's weird for me, for them to have so much dedicated to it. You have to like take a ferry to Tom Sawyer Island and then there's a whole bunch for you to play around with there. And then you take a, a ferry back. Uh, but that has nothing to do with something that Disney has created of their own. And when you start looking at the things that they have created, it's kind of strange for them to not try to uh, utilize that uh, to the best of their ability to replace some of this stuff with what they have recently made. Uh, just looking at traditionally animated films, not even CGI, we're not even talking the Disney Pixar stuff here, uh, just looking at the traditionally animated stuff from, let's say, 20 years ago and sooner, that'd be 1998. All right, so in 1998, they made A Bug's Life. They made Mulan. Uh, in 1999, they made Tarzan. Uh, they also made uh, The Emperor's New Groove, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, uh, Lilo and Stitch, Treasure Planet, uh, a piglet movie, uh, Brother Bear. Jeez. Um, uh, they had the Studio Ghibli stuff starting to come out, like Howl's Moving Castle. Uh, they also did Chicken Little, um, Meet the Robinsons. Um, they had a Tinkerbell movie, a Bolt. Uh, the Princess and the Frog, Tangled, another Winnie the Pooh movie, uh, Brave, Wreck-It Ralph, um, Frankenweenie, I don't remember that one, but it, it rings a bell. Um, and then in terms 
I'm not even done. We're still not even caught up. Big Hero 6, um, The Good Dinosaur, uh, Zootopia, Moana. And then this year they did, last year they did Coco. Uh, in terms of the Disney Pixar stuff, then you have, you know, Toy Story and Cars and Frozen and a whole bunch of other things that were so popular for everybody. Up, uh, Wally, Ratatouille. They had so many big name movies, and I can tell you after having been there that almost none of them are anywhere to be found. Almost none of them. Tarzan is somewhere. Uh, they basically turned a jungle uh, obstacle course into Tarzan, uh, but that's pretty much it. Um, of all the things that I mentioned, uh, it's just a couple of the Disney Pixar stuff that uh, was turned into Pixar Land over in uh, California Adventure. They did something with Nemo. They did a few things with Toy Story. Um, they did uh, something with Monsters, Inc. They have a Frozen show for you to watch. Uh, but meanwhile, they have a mountain in Disneyland that's still just called the Matterhorn. Why can't that be the Frozen Mountain? You know what I mean? I feel like with Disney, they are banking on nostalgia more than anything else. They are not anticipating people wanting to come to the park to see something that they have just seen in the theaters. And I think that is not necessarily the smartest way to look at it. Granted, it's hard to bet what is going to be a huge hit for the company. Uh, but even talking for things like 25 years ago or 30 years ago, and they still haven't done anything with it, even though they've made sequels like The Lion King. How have they not done anything with The Lion King? And I've tried to look to see if there's anything over at Disney World uh, that utilizes The Lion King, and I don't see anything. Maybe it's there, and I'm just not seeing it on, you know, the Wikipedia pages and stuff like that, uh, but I'm really not seeing anything there. When it comes to Aladdin, also a huge hit for them. Uh, there's an Aladdin magic carpet ride over in Disney World, but Disneyland doesn't have anything. I can tell you because I was just there. I saw Jasmine walking around, but that was it. Um, that and she she seemed kind of upset. Actually, I don't know. She seemed like she had somewhere to go, uh, so I don't know what was going on with that. Um, but when it comes to even the stuff from the 90s, they're not really utilizing it. Um, they have this idea that things have to fit into a theme. So Tarzan fits into Adventureland because Adventureland is basically a jungle. Also there you can find the Indiana Jones ride. You can find the Jungle Cruise. Um, but look at something like the Jungle Cruise. How is that not changed already to the Jungle Book? You know what I mean? It's the same setting. Uh, look at something like Frontierland, where everything's kind of in the Old West. How is Woody not there? Woody from Toy Story. You have a shooting gallery. How is it, you know, not Woody telling and telling you to shoot and all that kind of stuff? Um, you look at something like I said, men I mentioned with the Matterhorn. How is this not uh, the Frozen Mountain? It's not that hard to change. Uh, Splash Mountain, you, I, I don't know what to change that to, but that should be changed as well. Uh, then in terms of California Adventure, uh, they have a forest. Uh, they have a special forest just for kids, as far as we could tell. It had little obstacle courses for them and stuff like that. How is that not Winnie the Pooh? The Hundred Acre Woods, you could even put Bambi in there somewhere. Um, 
speaking of like older movies that aren't represented uh lady and the tramp they have restaurants in disneyland and uh california adventure and you cannot eat at um the italian restaurant from lady and the tramp and i think that's a huge missed opportunity for them um so there's so many things that they have made over the years and they're almost blatantly ignored simply because they don't want to update things properly. They are starting to change that. I have to give them credit for that. Like I said, they changed uh, the old submarine ride that nobody wanted to go on into Finding Nemo and suddenly everybody wanted to go on it. And it utilizes what I've kind of been referring to in my private life as mixed media. The idea being that uh, when you go to uh, an amusement park ride, typically with a roller coaster, it's just the coaster. You move and that's it. Uh, what they're starting to do now is mixing the media. So as you're going through uh, the roller coaster or whatever it is, there's a screen that is playing something for you or there's something that is moving around you. And this is becoming the mainstay of the newest roller coasters and the newest rides. And Disneyland is trying to do that. There's a couple times that they use it better than others. Uh, one of my favorites was the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. I mentioned this a little bit before. It's basically an elevator, a really fast elevator, one that literally just drops a few times. But then it'll stop and it'll open up the doors and you get to see a little scene with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and I think that is a really smart way to utilize the technology that they have. Um, with that said, though, when it comes to Marvel, the Guardians of the Galaxy is the only thing that I saw that was related to Marvel in the entire park. Uh, they did have, I, I do have to say, they did have a Captain America available for you to take pictures with uh, right outside the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. And I feel like they are working on making um, a, a Marvel land for you to hang out in. But they purchased the rights to that, I believe, in 2009. I, like, I think it was right around the time of that first Iron Man movie in 2008. It was right around then which means that they've had 10 years to figure this out and now they're just starting to work on it. They also bought Star Wars and they've done very, very little with that. Um, when it comes to what is Star Wars related in Disneyland, I felt like them changing uh, Tomorrowland into Star Wars Land was an easy thing for them to do, uh, but it doesn't seem to have started yet. I heard that they were working on it, but they... There's no evidence when I was there. Uh, they did turn what used to be the Hall of Presidents, like back in like the 50s. They've closed it down for decades. Uh, but they basically turned that large um, convention-style space into a really bad museum. <laughs> That's the best way that I could put it. They had a couple Star Wars things on display. They had a couple... Um, they had a couple uh, video games for you to play. It was Lego uh, Star Wars games um, for Xbox. And it, the Xboxes were old and not very responsive. And then uh, they had lines for like a half hour for you to meet and uh, take pictures with Chewbacca and Darth Vader, you know, people in costumes. Um, and, and that was it. And I was, I was really disappointed 
when I checked that out. I'm like, finally, you guys did something with Star Wars. We walked in. I was like, what the hell is this? There's nothing here. Uh, and then as we walked out, there were two guys in Storm, Stormtrooper costumes uh, willing to take pictures with people, uh, but not too many people wanted to take pictures with them. And as I walked through Disneyland, I started realizing that the lands were starting to collapse. Um, they, they weren't as neatly organized as you might have thought. Um, so in Tomorrowland, that's where the Finding Nemo ride was. Um, there was also a Buzz Lightyear ride there. Um, that, that also had a large wait for it. They still have Autopia uh, which is kind of weird since they created cars and created a whole land for cars. Just strap some eyeballs on the on the cars in Autopia, and it's Cars-topia now, but uh, that's not the way that they looked at it. So ultimately, Disneyland is really far behind when it comes to utilizing their intellectual property. They have so much out there that they could be utilizing on a regular basis. You know, how is... Um, New Orleans Square, not The Princess and the Frog. Granted, it wasn't that great of a movie, but, um, well, at least in terms of Disney movies, it wasn't uh, the biggest hit, and it wasn't that well-received for a Disney movie. It was still good, though. Uh, but New Orleans Square is still just New Orleans Square, and there's nothing Princess and the Frog related there at all. And The Princess and the Frog took place in New Orleans. They, they clearly are not thinking about... Um, transferring the movies over to the theme park. And I think that is a mistake. And there are so much out there that I would love to see. Uh, for instance, uh, the Beauty and the Beast ballroom. Uh, there's so much opportunity for them to just create a room in Disneyland that's based on the Beauty and the Beast ballroom. Even the library would work. But when I think of the ballroom, it, I was thinking like just have a place for the adults to dance with each other. Like, have a slow dance with the teapot singing and all that kind of stuff. Um, that That's just an easy one. Uh, they have an enchanted tiki room that would work for that. Uh, then there's um, Toy Story. The idea that I had for that was to walk into Andy's room, but walk into it two different ways. Walk into it once as the size of Andy, right, the kid in Toy Story, the one that actually owned the toys, and then walk into another room and be the size of Woody, be the toy size. Like, that would be amazing. Um, then something from Aladdin. I would love to go into the Cave of Wonders from Aladdin. Uh, the magic, any sort of magic carpet ride should take you into that. Uh, but once again, Disneyland doesn't do anything with that. Um, with... Uh, with The Lion King, how are we not doing Pride Rock and... Uh, going through a ride where we go through all of the pride lands uh, when it comes to what was the other one that I was thinking of I'm blanking on it uh, the Little Mermaid they do it they did do a little with the Little Mermaid for the record um, but not not too much it was kind of disappointing how much they did there uh, there was basically a ride where they just showed you the story of the Little Mermaid um, Hercules and, and Mulan they have nothing for that um, there's so much that they, they missed. Um, and like I said, the Disney Pixar stuff has been some of the most popular stuff in recent memory. And, uh, it's basically a, a carnival sideshow at, uh, in California Adventure, not even in Disneyland itself. So ultimately I feel like Disneyland is the biggest culprit for not utilizing their intellectual property because I just named their animated films. That was it. 
the CGI and animated films. And I came up with a list of maybe 20 to 30 things that they could be doing that they just don't care enough to try. And I find that very disappointing, uh, especially since they have so much stuff from the 40s and 50s that nobody even really remembers or isn't even related uh, to the things that they already own. Uh, but with that said, they really don't have that much uh, incentive to change it. Apparently, ticket sales are the highest that they've ever been. Uh, I know that the price is highest that they've ever been, so they must be making more money on admissions than they've ever made. Uh, but with that said, I feel like there's a lot of improvements that could be made there. And uh, I'm not going to say the last trip that I went to went through there was disappointing, but it was definitely uh, not as good as it could have been, uh, considering how much uh, my generation and pretty much every generation after mine grew up on Disney films uh, for them to not try to capitalize on that even further and instead have a redwood forest with nothing in it. You know what I mean? So that's what I wanted to talk about with theme parks. I have gone way over my time, but there are still some things that I want to talk about. We're going to head into the wild card uh, today, and that wild card is going to be the idea of hype, specifically when it comes to video games, but we're going to have to reference other media as well. Uh, this is basically because of the news story when it came to Diablo Immortal. Uh, for those of you that have already forgotten since I've talked so much about other things, uh, Diablo Immortal was the mobile game that Blizzard announced uh, when they said they had a huge announcement for, uh, for their Diablo franchise, and then it turned out to be what appeared to be a cheap mobile game. Uh, the earliest reviews from people at BlizzCon who got a little demo of it is that it's not very good anyway. But the idea that they thought this big announcement would satisfy uh, the people at the convention is the biggest reason that there was such a big backlash for it. And it is because of the hype. So I wanted to talk about the idea of hype uh, and how it relates to video games and how it relates to me personally. Uh, we'll start with me personally. Uh, when it comes to hype, I try my best to stay away from it. I don't like hype because hype will only lead to disappointment or unexpected good things. And most likely it is disappointment. Uh, there are a couple times when I come in with low expectations and I'm surprised, reasonably surprised. Uh, but most of the time anybody tells me something really good about a video game or a movie or a television show, uh, I come out going, yeah, it was all right. It wasn't that great. And it never lives up to the hype. So I try to stay away from hype as much as I can. I don't try to buy video games the day that they come out. Uh, typically, I have done it a couple times, but as a general rule, I don't do that. Uh, I try to avoid uh, the, any sort of publicity or uh, press or trailers or anything like that leading up to a movie. I will wait until... Uh, something comes out and then I will uh, read the reviews on it and try to base uh, whether I want to uh, participate in that based on that. So that's how I feel about hype. I just try to avoid it. With that said, though, companies need hype. They need to hype their products. They need to hype their services. If Without it, they're going to struggle. And especially in the media field, 
the way that a lot of these companies look at how successful something is is based on the opening of uh, whatever they're selling. So if it is a movie, you're looking at the opening weekend. If you're looking at a television show, you're looking at that first show, that first premiere of the the whole series of the the series. Uh, sorry, the season or the whole series as as a whole. So they look at that first thing with the video game. I'm not entirely sure what the cutoff date is for a video game, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was like the first month that a video game came out. The idea being that you can gauge how successful something will be based on the initial response to it. And when you're in an industry where you have to make quick decisions for long-term projects, that's how you're going to have to look at things. And how successful a movie is can sort of be based on how well it does that opening weekend. There is some basis to that. If it doesn't do well that opening weekend, it's not like you're going to get double the audience a month from then. So it makes sense for them to look at that opening weekend and judge whether they've made a good decision based on that. When it comes to television shows, I think it's a little bit less um, useful to look at that opening show as an indication of how well that show is going to be. The biggest example from that is uh, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad did not do well that first season. It was not a huge hit, uh, either critically or in terms of viewership. Uh, But by the end of season five, it was arguably the biggest show on television. Uh, Game of Thrones was around then, but you could make the argument that Breaking Bad was still bigger than Game of Thrones was at the time. Um, So companies big production companies kind of learned that they had to stick with the project uh, because of Breaking Bad. Uh, But that is a rare exception. Uh, A lot of times they will cancel a show in the middle of the first season, uh, no matter uh, how the reaction from the fans is, if it's not popular. And the biggest way to make something popular when it first appears, is through hype. So for a lot of these big name companies, you have to hype up your product, you have to hype up the show, you have to hype up the movie, or you have to hype up the video game, so that you can get the opening sales. And if it is popular that first week, it'll probably be popular the second week, Uh, and the third week, and the fourth week, and so on. And even if you have a bad product, if you can sell it well that first week, uh, chances are you're going to make your money back. Some movies make their money back that first weekend. Uh, But a lot of times, they gauge entire success based on the success of their hype. And I think that's where a lot of disparity happens between quality and production because a lot of times these companies are not making what is a quality product when it comes to movies and stuff like that uh for instance the despicable me franchise since i brought that up a little bit earlier um 
it's a it, it's a good family film. It's not great. Uh, it definitely doesn't deserve the four movies that it's spawned so far. Uh, three Despicable Me movies and a Minions movie. Uh, but the problem is that people go to see the movie that initial weekend. And if a movie is successful that initial weekend, they're going to okay the second movie, the sequel, right then and there. That's the way that movies have to work. So if Despicable Me 2 does really well in that opening weekend, Despicable Me is now a thing that's going to happen. Um, that happens a lot. So as a result, you see a lot of sequels and franchises uh, that were never all that great, but the company isn't going to really find out that people weren't interested in the movie, they didn't like the movie, until the sequel comes out. That happened with uh, the Transformers franchise, where one movie did really well, uh, and then the next movie did really badly, and uh, the, seemingly nobody could figure out why, uh, and the answer was, well, people were tricked the first time because of the hype and went to see the movie, so it was successful. Second movie comes out, and nobody liked it, and nobody went to see it because they didn't like the first movie, but they went to see it anyway. As a, That's one of the reasons that I try to stay away from hype because a lot of times everybody will go make an event out of seeing this one big movie, and it turns out it's not good. And then there's a second and third movie because that first movie... Uh, was hyped up so much that people went to see it. Uh, when it comes to video games, hype is a lot more difficult to deal with um, because that opening weekend, that opening month, the opening whatever is not the best indication of how well a video game is going to do. It's just not. You can hype up a video game all you want. There's a, only a select few people that will go out and purchase a video game that first week. Most people I know will wait until it's discounted. And I, they've done that for a long time. There's always going to be some people that have to go out and get that game when it first is released. They'll wait in line. They will get it. They will play as much of it as they can after the midnight release or whatever. But... For most people, video games are something that require a lot of time, and booking time in advance is not something that they look forward to when it comes to video games, like they do with movies or television shows. Uh, it's not necessarily an event to play a video game the way that it's an event to go see a movie or an event to watch a television show. So when it comes to video games, it's a lot harder to gauge how successful a video game is going to be based on that initial release. You can still get an idea of it, but I think it's far less indicative, indicative, there we go, indicative of how well a video game is going to do based on that opening uh, month as opposed to an opening weekend of a movie. But from a lot of these large, large companies' perspectives, like EA and Activision and Ubisoft, it really still looks at that opening month. They're a little bit more traditional when it comes to how to gauge how successful their uh, video game is going to be. They look at it as how well did it do that opening month. So EA 
probably amongst the biggest ones uh, in the whole industry, they really push that their game is going to be good. Uh, Square Enix does it too. They're the ones that distribute the Call of Duty games, so I can't leave them out. They really do push commercials on Call of Duty and stuff like that. Um, but when it comes to how well those games are then received, a lot of times the hype falls under. And the hype ends up being a detriment to the video games. And the latest example uh, is not even uh, Diablo Immortal anymore. It's Fallout 76. And Fallout 76, uh, from basically every um, reviewer that I've seen, seems to be broken and not that fun to play. <laughs> and it's not worth the price tag that they put on it. Uh, that's disappointing anytime i hear that a video game is bad it's disappointing i especially from something as beloved a franchise as fallout is um but there are other examples that were even worse uh there's something like uh, no man's sky where uh, the developer seemingly just lied to camera about what was in the game not the first time that, that happened probably not going to be the last time that it happens and that resulted in a huge success. Like No Man's Sky was a huge success because so many people bought the game because of the hype and then sold it back because they hated the game. If, for those of you that are unaware, basically, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy that made No Man's Sky went on to several television shows and um, all sorts of different uh, media outlets and basically promised everything was in the game. He basically promised that his game was its own universe, that you could do anything you wanted in, um, and it would ha feature multiplayer, and you could set up empires and trading routes, and all anything you wanted, it could happen in this game. The game gets released, there's absolutely nothing like that in the game. You go around and you... Um, see stuff and then you identify it give it a name and then you move on to the next planet uh that's basically the gist of the game at least when it first came out from what i understand they've changed it a bit but that was the initial release when people were promised literally a universe and they were basically given a naming simulator and they were there was a huge backlash for it and um to be honest it was too late people bought into the hype and hype worked out really well in this case, but not for the fans, not for the actual purchasers of the product. It worked out really well for the company. Uh, so when it comes to video games, there's a lot more history to bad hype, a uh, hype that does not live up to expectations. And it's nothing new. Uh, look at something like E.T. for the Atari 2600. The reason that it's listed as one of the worst games of all time is because of the hype. They hyped the game up. It's going to be just like playing, uh, just like watching E.T., but you get to control the action. And it was nothing like that. It is it one of the worst games ever? No, it's, it's a decent game for an Atari age game, but uh, it, it didn't live up to what was hyped. Um, look at something like Spore, anything like by Peter Molyneux. Pretty much the entire history of video games is about games not living up to the hype. And that's not going to be anything that goes away. Um, if you want it to go away, the answer is to not buy into hype. The reason that hype is used so much is because it is effective. And if 
it stops being effective, then it'll stop being used. But the way that these companies are designed are that they have to hype things up in order to prove that the thing that they've been working on is worth it. And with video games, they are much more criticized, uh, rightly, I would say, uh, than movies and film. Because movies and, well, movies and TV shows. Movies and TV shows are very passive experiences. You just kind of sit back and watch it. Uh, when you play a video game, you are dissecting the game as you go through it. You will find every nook and cranny, so everything has to work properly. Uh, if something happens in the background of a movie or television show, very few people are going to notice it. There will be some people out there that go out of their way to notice it, but it's easily overlooked. When you play a video game, you're less likely to overlook this stuff, this kind of thing because you're going to go investigate it and stare at it for a while. So I feel like there are much more opportunities to criticize a video game. And as a result, the hype surrounding them is much more misplaced. But like I said, it will uh, continue to exist because it is effective and it helps these large companies um, sell their products and feel like they have sold the products well. Uh, when it comes to video games, there are returns, but uh, typically that does not go all the way back to the company. Uh, if you play a game and sell it back to GameStop, this does not affect uh, the company's sales. They just sold you the game at the end of it, and now you're pawning it off to GameStop. So ultimately, hype will continue to exist, but for me, I will continue to stay out of it. And I guess that's what I wanted to talk about when it comes to hype. And that's what we're going to talk about when it comes to the ScubaCast today. This was an especially long one. It's been a while. There was a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about. And I'm glad I finally got the time to do it. Uh, but that is going to do it today for the ScubaCast. I have been Baller Scuba. If you have liked the ScubaCast today, uh, feel free to check out the links in the description. Uh, to my YouTube account if you're not seeing it on YouTube, uh, to my Patreon, to the Instagram and the Twitter. I try to keep those at least a little updated, but once again, I have been so busy lately that uh, it's kind of fallen off the wayside, but I will get back into it. Um, the Patreon is useful if you want to help uh, support the ScubaCast and you want to help decide what we will talk about next. Uh, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we talked about today. Uh, but that is going to do it for the ScubaCast. I've been Bob Scuba. I've been joined by nobody. We still don't have special guests. One of these days, I will have a special guest. Hope you guys have enjoyed the podcast. Hope you laughed. Hope you learned. Hope to see you next time. Thanks for watching.